today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. There are situations that you and I are going to run into that are absolutely impenetrable. Some that maybe in your life or in the life of a young one or a loved one have been there for years and years and have just stood there and never been able to be brought down. I look at this and I say, Lord, in obedience to your command, not on their own, not on their own logic, but in obedience to your command, They did some stuff that did not make sense logically. Some of Christ's commands or callings for your life may leave you shaking your head in confusion. The Israelites, when ordered to march around an insurmountable wall and shout, must have felt the same way. Today, as Pastor David looks at the story of Joshua and the wall of Jericho, he focuses on the obedience of the Israelites. He encourages listeners that the same obedience to the Lord can work wonders even today, no matter how crazy or impossible his callings may seem. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, A Spiritual Battle. of those shofars. The shofars, if you've heard them, they have a very unique sound. And I can just imagine these seven priests blowing these seven shofars all at the same time, just as they marched around the city one time. Wow, that was pretty weird. What was that all about? I don't know. Maybe they were just here to check us out. I have no idea. Man, they got a lot of guys. Yeah, but you know what? They didn't do anything. Maybe they're afraid of us. Maybe they're worried about us. Now think of yourself as as one of the soldiers of Israel. you got to be kidding me, Joshua. That's the plan? We're just going to march around for seven days? What is that going to do? You know what this does for you as a soldier? It takes it out of your wheelhouse. It takes it out of your ability. It's not going to be, okay, guys, man, we need to train up. and Let's do a little bit of a one-on-one uh, over here in the evenings, getting ready. Let's build ourselves up. No. What do you think they did when they went back home? I don't know. What are we going to barbecue for dinner tonight? What are we going to, you know, just wondering what's going to go. And the next morning they get up and they do the same thing. The people of Jericho, surely today they're going to do something. But here they come, marching one more time, going around the city one more time, blowing those stupid trumpets. We're about to go nuts with the trumpets. And they do this for six days. Either the people of Jericho are absolutely melting out of fear about when are you going to attack, when's the attack going to happen, or maybe they're starting to get a little bold thinking, well, these guys ain't got nothing. But then that seventh day comes. Another interesting thing about this. How many days are in a week, y'all? Seven. 
isn't the Sabbath day supposed to be holy and there's not supposed to be all this marching and walking all around and all this different stuff? Again, the Lord is taking it out of the normal. We're using not the, not the horns of battle, we're using the horns of worship. We're not leaving the ark in the camp. No, we're bringing the ark with us. Oh, we're not leaving the priests at the camp. We're bringing the priests with us. And I'm sure the priests were really excited about that. And then it says on the seventh day. We don't know what day exactly it started, but it would seem to me to only make sense that that seventh day was actually the Sabbath day that they came in. And the Lord is going to show himself strong and mighty. Either that or the Sabbath was one of those other middle days, and that just wouldn't make sense either. So here we are on the seventh day. They're coming up. They're marching. What does it say here in verse 12? And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Then the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. And so they did for six days. But it came to pass on that seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day. They marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. And... It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and irons are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now, I don't believe that while they're all out there on the line that Joshua explained this. I believe that Joshua probably explained this just as they were going. Hey, by the way, when we get there, when I tell you to shout, you shout. But don't forget, when we go in there, as those walls fall, don't be messing around with all the, the accursed stuff that's in there. They've got a lot of pagan things. They've got a lot of uh, perverted things. Leave all that stuff alone. Don't take anything there. Only take, again, the gold and the silver, those things that are going to go into the treasury of the Lord. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. There's a lot of things we could look at in this. Number one, some that say, well, you know, with the marching of that many troops around the wall that many times, the blowing of the ram horns, maybe what had happened is it weakened the foundation around the building, and then that one final shout just really shook it down. I don't think it worked that way, personally. Those walls had stood for years and years. Jericho, one of the oldest cities in that whole area. A large army coming around it, yeah, you yeah, it, it could do weird things. I don't think it's going to cause those walls to fall down. I believe that the walls fell down by the hand and by the work of God out of the obedience of the people of God. Guys, within our lives, within every one of our lives, there are situations that you and I are going to run into that are absolutely impenetrable 
Some that maybe in your life or in the life of a young one or a loved one have been there for years and years and have just stood there and never been able to be brought down. I look at this and I say, Lord, in obedience to your command, not on their own, not on their own logic, but in obedience to your command, they did some stuff that did not make sense logically. Didn't make sense logically for people of war. It didn't even make sense logically according to their own style. Again, with the ark, the ram's horn, the priests. There's something, again, as an example, not as a playbook for us. I think it's given as an example of understanding that there's going to be times in our lives that God is going to work and move and maybe call us into something that's unfamiliar to us, in an unfamiliar territory. But yet he wants to do something in our lives for his glory. He's going to demonstrate himself in our lives in a way that we hadn't anticipated. We couldn't even have logically pulled together. But Lord, you want to do this in my life. I want to be obedient to you. Now let me ask you this. If this direction had not been of the Lord... If Joshua, a seasoned veteran by now, 40 years out in the wilderness fighting other battles and everything, a seasoned veteran, seasoned warrior, if he had to come back to his captains and his leadership and says, you know, I, I got to thinking, here's a great plan. Why don't we just march around the city a few times? And we're going to shout and we're going to do this. We're going to blow trumpets. Let me ask you, if they did exactly the same thing, but it wasn't of the Lord, I don't care how much seismic activity they could have created. I don't think those walls would have fallen down. This was something that God did special and in particular. As we read through the book of Joshua, as we read through the book of Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, there's a lot of battles in there. There is a lot of battles. Do you know how many of them they use this style of battle? Can you guess how many of them? Just that one. Just that one. But what if they would have said, you know, that's such a great plan. That works so well. Let's do that on the next one and the next one. I don't think it would have done the same. God was doing something special and unique at that time for that period. When we try and bring God down to a formula and say this, 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 and this means that he must do and he will do this. Our God moves in mysterious ways. He's not going to allow himself to be confined to a box or to methodology. I I can't begin to tell you the amount of emails and mail literature and magazines that we get as a church. I get as a pastor of, you know, all the neat tricks to to build a church, to uh, energize this and to do this, to uh, reach out to here and to reach out to there. And I'm thinking... It's gimmicks. It's gimmicks. It's gimmicks. Will it draw people? It might. It might draw people. But will it really change people's lives? Will it impact people for the kingdom? And that's one of the biggest problems that we see right now. People trying to put God into a special formula that says that if we do this and if we do this, then for sure this will happen. And yet I see biblically the total opposite. At one time, God does this. Another time, God does that. 
One time, uh, Jonathan and his shield carrier goes and they defeat a whole group of Philistines. And another time, the, the Philistines fight against themselves and they wipe themselves out. You know, one, one time the, the forces of Israel go and they fight against the invading army and they get great victory. And then there's other times that the enemy's coming at them. They hear word of another battle back home and they all leave in the middle of the night into where nobody's there. God works in amazing ways. He is the one that wants to work in our lives. He's not going to work in my life the same way he works in yours. Why? Because he's not doing the same thing in our lives. Because there's issues that you're dealing with that you've never dealt with. There's a situation that you're going to deal with next week that you may never deal with. Because we are each uniquely made by God. And each one of us have unique experiences. But yet, the God of all glory, the creator of heaven and earth, desires to work and move in our lives for his glory. And here, we're going to see this absolutely amazing thing. They do it. They go around the seven dimes on that seventh day. They shout. They blow the trumpets. The wall falls down flat. And the people go into the city. And it says that they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. And you think that's horrendous. That's, that's absolutely almost to the point of being atrocious. I mean, the men, the women, the children, the ox, the donkeys, every living thing. That's beyond our comprehension within our culture. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord told the children of Israel that when you go into that land, you need to understand the vastness of the wickedness of that land. And if you try to coexist with that wickedness, it'll destroy you. And again, as an example to us, not as a playbook, but as an example, I believe that the Lord is speaking to us that in this world, the world that you and I live in, the areas that we live and work in, um, man, there, there are so many things that can, again, infiltrate into our lives. There's so many things that we can allow to get a, a foothold into our lives until pretty soon it's not just a foothold, it's a claw. And then pretty soon it's not a claw. It's, it's got its whole being wrapped inside of us. Why? Because we've opened ourselves up a little bit. We've allowed compromise within our lives. And beloved, that's one of the reasons why, because of the vastness of the perversion and the wickedness of that culture at that point and at that time, why God says, no, wipe them all out. Now, we're going to see as we go on through here that that's not always the case. But here, it definitely was. In your life and in my life, when we look at the attacks of the enemy, the draws of the things of this world that can come into our lives, we need to be so careful, again, that we go ahead and cut off this, this stuff that can so easily destroy our lives and so easily destroy the testimony of our lives and so easily destroy the boldness of our lives. You see, it would even infect our boldness to be able to share Christ if the enemy has a stronghold in there. Because I don't want, I don't want to begin to sharing about Christ because, man, what, what if they, you know, look at my life? What if they ask about my life? And the enemy is great at that, to defeat and to discourage, to distract and to deflate deflate the boldness of our lives.
They needed to go in. They killed both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Verse 22, but Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers, all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Again, interesting. What was it that saved Rahab the harlot? A couple of things. Number one, faith. Remember, that was the first part. The faith that she had of the greatness of their God. She believed in the greatness of their God. She testified of that to the two spies. And the two spies told her, now, take this cord, take this scarf, whatever it was, a cord or a scarf. It was a red scarlet cord. And again, speaking once again, just as in the Passover, just as in Egypt, man, when I see the blood, I'll pass over a red scarlet cord outside of her window, speaking so clearly to us. Again, the devastation, the destruction, the wrath of God veering away from her and all that were under that scarf, all that were under, in essence, can we say, under the blood that were there in her house were saved. It's an amazing thing, too, because where was her house located? On the wall, on the wall. If it was seismic activity that caused the wall to fall down, how come her wall didn't fall down? Okay, so it'd be a miracle anyway. But the miracle of God was God called the whole wall to fall down, but saved her house. And then they were able to go in, get her and her household, and come out and be safe there. It says that they went in and they took the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron. They put them in the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. And so she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up his gates. Now that doesn't mean that his firstborn is going to be on the work team, and that his youngest is going to be the carpenter up set the gates. No, what that means is whoever goes to rebuild this city, he's going to lose his firstborn, and he's going to lose his youngest too if he goes, because there's going to be a curse placed upon him. Keeping your place right here, go to the right a little bit to First Kings, if you would. Chapter 16, verse 33, And Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho, and he laid its foundation with Abram, his firstborn, with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So someone did try and rebuild it, and it cost him his firstborn, cost him his youngest son. Today we go to Jericho. We actually drive by Jericho when we're in Israel. We don't go into Jericho because, again, it's, uh, it's Palestinian-owned and controlled at this point in time. But you can see from a distance the ruins of ancient Jericho, and there's a, another Jericho off to the side right now. 
It never did become a city the way it was. It had been such a powerful city in that pagan culture for so many ages. And yet when the children of Israel came in, a supernatural work of God allowed that city to be utterly and completely destroyed. It says that the walls fell in. They didn't fall out. They fell in. And again, the whole work and the whole plan of God is that when you and I walk in obedience to him, when we live our lives seeking him and we're walking in obedience to him, he will fight these battles for us. The unfortunate reality is for many of us, we say, yes, the Lord is fighting this battle and we've got our sword out and we're swinging and we're saying, no, the Lord's fighting this battle, but I am so tired, I'm worn out and I'm, uh, who's fighting the battle? Me or the Lord? More often than not, we say the Lord is fighting, and yet we still struggle and we still do battle in these areas in our life. The faithfulness of God in our life shows himself when you and I are able to walk in absolute surrender to his perfect will in our life. It says that the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all of the country. What do you mean all of the country? All of that pagan country that's all around them. His fame spread throughout all of these other nations in the area. This is Joshua, the leader of the people of Israel. This is Joshua, the representative of the God of Israel. This is Joshua who led his people across the Jordan River. This is Joshua who defeated Jericho. Man, what an awesome thing that is. To know and to see God's great victory in our lives. But what happens, team, when we live on yesterday's victories? We face defeat today. If I'm living on yesterday's victory, and I'm not seeking the Lord and following Him and being obedient in my life today, I'm going to have defeat today. You and I can't rest on yesterday's victory because they had boldness from previous victories. And I think that we ought to have boldness in previous victories. I think that we ought to be boosted up in faith and encouragement when we can hear the testimony of a a brother or a sister or when we see God working and moving in our hand. I think those things ought to boast us up. It ought to build us up in the most holy faith. I think that it ought to give us strength in our faith. But if we walk only in yesterday's victory without really seeking today, remember God does different things at different times with different people. And I can't plan that tomorrow is going to be dealt the exact same way that today is because chances are it's going to be different. And am I listening to the Lord? Am I quiet enough before the Lord that I'll be able to hear his voice for that battle? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that. We understand that. But the way that he works and moves within each one of our lives is going to be different. That's why we can't, you know, just say, hey, you know what? I prayed five years ago, and and God gave me a direction. That's still where I'm going. Well, you know what? If we're not seeking his direction daily, we're missing quite a bit, quite a bit. Not only in the relationship, but also in the direction and in the strength and in the victories in our lives.
one of the mightiest warriors in the entire Bible was Joshua. God used Joshua to conquer many of the pagan nations surrounding God's people. From spying out the land God had promised his people, to Joshua's encounter with the angel of the Lord, this book will surely be an encouragement. Join us as David teaches through Joshua verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. That's TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.